0: Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshuasheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions. For commercial voiceover narration, production MC and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. Today we're talking trauma and addiction through the lens of the emotional mask. What is the emotional mask? (laughs) How does it relate to trauma and addiction? Those questions answered and more. I'm joined by Jocelyn Jones. She's gonna be sharing her journey of addiction recovery. Jocelyn is an author, speaker, entrepreneur. You, like me, have a background in journalism with a BA in journalism, I did too, Yep. Um, also a couple master's degrees, me too. When I got my second one I was like, who does that? <laughs> like so I'm glad that, that you did because I thought I'm losing my mind, you know. Um, you have a master's in social work and theological studies, which is so cool. and your book is called Breaking the Power of the Mask. Jocelyn's also an ordained minister, the president of Faith on the Journey, a Christian counseling company specializing in grief and trauma. She's the founder of the Trauma Healing Network that offers support to people called to the Ministry of Emotional Healing. Wow. And that's, that's just probably scratching the surface. So a lot going on, Jocelyn. Thanks for being here.
1: Yes, thanks for having me, Jody.
0: And I love your mic. We were talking about that <laughs> as a radio Mike geek. Up, I'm like, y'all. what's that?
1: Mic stops. <laughs>
0: uh, so Jocelyn, where are you uh, located? Whereabouts in the world? I love how we can connect with people all over.
1: Right. I'm in the Chicagoland area. Mm-hmm. So maybe 10 minutes outside the border of Chicago.
0: Wow. Okay. I've never been there. I'm in Reno, Nevada. You visit. I know. Oh,
1: don't visit right now though. Cause it's very cold.
0: Oh, well I grew up in Alaska, so I'm good.
1: Okay, okay. You can yeah. hang then.
0: You can <laughs> Yeah, exactly I, I coach downhill skiing in storms and you know I'm I'm good with cold. Like actually it's snowing right now. So it's are you guys getting like a super storm there right now as we speak?
1: As we're, we're recording, it's January tenth. It. Yeah, it was it was some crazy weather out here yesterday, but it's expected. January and February are rough out here. So yeah, we're getting it.
0: Okay. All right. So Jocelyn, you do a lot of work in trauma. You talk a lot about this idea of the emotional mask. And in fact, this is what your book is is about so i jumped all over this when i saw that and you reached out because this is something kind of near and dear to me different ways of putting it the false front the false self the hiding something that's that so many of us do and there's so many different reasons for it um trauma all sorts of things but i wanted to kind of just get your perspective on just this this concept of the emotional mask and 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 what it is
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I use a, a, a phrase. I was given this mask. I didn't make it, you know, kind of play off a mm. of Tupac uh, Shakur's song because yeah. you know, we were in this world. We're in this world where the mask is almost expected. I want you to think yeah. when you're walking down the street or walking into a room and someone says, hey, how you doing? The expected answer is. I'm fine, I'm good. Right. If, if they even stay long enough to hear the answer.
0: Right, right. <laughs> oh, so, I'm horrible, my dog died. And yeah, nobody right. does that.
1: <laughs> they don't want to know the truth, right? And that's a, a micro <laughs> example of how this looks. But even beyond this, like when as children, for little boys, they might've been t- taught that boys don't cry. Yeah. Uh, even women, where it's too emotional, in the the workplace and in church, particularly for me, working in that environment, yeah. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too blessed to be depressed. Test the lion, got the t-shirt, all of that. <laughs> and when and when we present ourselves in such a way, yeah. it it hides the fact that we might be dealing with some serious things behind the scenes. Aww. I think social media even more so magnifies it when we yeah. are scrolling on Facebook and we see people living their best life, smiling, profiling, and we're trying to live up to that expectation, not knowing that behind the scenes, they might be crying themselves to sleep and dealing with Mm -hmm. all type of stuff. But the persona, the expectation of what to project to the world is such that it's a mask. Similarly speaking, we're also taught to mask our pain. Mm. Run from our pain. Do what we can to not deal with pain. In the United States, we think about even from a physical standpoint, like supplements that yeah. we're, um, or medication that we're given that oftentimes is treating the symptoms, the pain, but it's not dealing with the root of yeah. the pain. Same yeah. thing when it comes to our trauma and our grief and our pain. We deal with our pain by addressing the symptoms to numb ourselves, Mm. but we haven't dealt with the root. We're masking our pain. And that's something that's cultural. And if we're not aware of it, that's something that we can find ourselves all doing is consistently wearing a mask to prevent people from seeing us, knowing us and preventing ourselves from being able to hear, heal, excuse me.
0: Mm, I love that. That's so great. Oh, my gosh. You know, you, you said so many things, but what, what pops into my mind, I love smiling and profiling. <laughs> I love it. I got to steal that. But, you know, as, as little kids, we, I, think, I think two of our biggest needs, right, are going to be love and then authenticity, right? Who am I? Who did God create me to be, right? And, and I feel like so many kids, we have to choose, Right. And we're going to choose mama's love or daddy's love. And if they expect us to be a certain way, we're going to fake it. Right. And Mm. that's and I think Mm. there's there's and maybe you could speak to this, but I think there's just different levels of that mask depending on the levels of how are we were kind of told to shove that authentic person, you know.
1: Yes, you're hitting on something, Jody. The mask shows up in different ways, right? So it Mm -hmm. could be the people pleasing mask or Mr. Mr. Mrs. Nice mask. It could be (laughs) the perfectionist mask. It could be the mask of strength. It could be uh, the joking mask. It could be so many different things that we can choose to do based on learned behavior from our past to show up a certain way because we've been conditioned to do so. And so, yes, uh, when we are taught that I'll get more affection, whether it's from our parents, whether it's from people around us. If I show up a certain way, then we can become accustomed to doing that. But if it's not authentic to how we're really feeling and if we don't have a place that's safe for us to be honest about the fact that I'm actually depressed. I'm laughing at these jokes right now and I'm making you all laugh, Mm -hmm. but I'm struggling. I'm even thinking about suicide, but Mm -hmm. no one knows that because I've mastered the art. Of joking, making people smile, being strong. So I can't let anybody see me sweat. But that is so, you get tired, Jody. That is a yeah. lot of work to <laughs> wear this mask all the time.
0: Right, right. And, I think a lot of it too is just you know it can be serious trauma or abuse I'll have you speak on that or it can just be invalidation right i mean for me growing up there was a lot like my mom's father was an alcoholic and he was very abusive and And so they were just young. They were like super immature. They didn't know how to deal with the emotions of children. So it was just very, there was some fighting and and yelling. And my mom was very codependent. And there was like, you know, just stop, stop feeling that way. You've got everything you want. You're spoiled. Just, you know what I mean? Just don't feel that way or... father and i don't know why you feel that way (laughs) right Mm -hmm. so you stop feeling that way i probably say this every show but then you just you kind of keep stuffing that and i feel like our emotions are such they're who we are right because if we woke Mm -hmm. up and we had no emotions we'd be robots so if we can't if we have to stuff those and then who are we like we wouldn't even know who we are right
1: Right. Oh, that is so real. And it causes us, especially when it comes to abuse, and like you said, it doesn't have to be the extreme of abuse, but just invalidation. We start questioning that inner voice. We start saying like, wait, (sighs) is is this right? Is this feeling legit or is this, am I over-exaggerating? And that inner voice is so important to us Mm -hmm. being real, but we can become that chameleon. I mean, I know personally about being a chameleon in certain environments. And it wasn't until recently that I started questioning, like, why is it that you laugh at jokes that are racist or not fun or offensive? Why is it that you feel like your voice, you have to hide your voice in certain environments because you're afraid of not belonging? Where is that root from? Now, that's a whole story. I don't know if you want to go there. But I I do think that we have to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for (laughs) me. But I like, I want to
0: say, I want to say what you said is, is it's so key because you're just stuffing this integral part of yourself because it was shamed as a, as an, as a Mm. little child. And like, for me being so codependent, I thought standing up to my boss saying no, like that I would literally die. And I think people don't understand that, like that I would be destroyed, like that I, I don't have a voice. And I think people that have, that have choices that were raised differently, they don't understand that. They're like, well, just say no. And you're like, no, I'll die. (laughs) Particularly kids like with narcissistic parents. They, yeah. So, so um, yeah. So talk to me about just kind of share, your story of you said you had some trauma in your 20s, and then it sounds like that moved into an addiction for you. Cause if you're not dealing with yeah. it, you're, you're gonna turn to, you're gonna deal with it in some way, right? <laughs> right?
1: It, exactly, exactly. Yeah. For me, I experienced sexual trauma in my early 20s, and Ooh, I cool. didn't deal with it, didn't talk about it. Uh, my mom, I know one day when I came home, she knew something was off with me, but I wasn't talking to her. And I was just crying and crying and crying. And finally she's like, what is going on? And and so I shared it with her, but we didn't really talk about it again. Cause I didn't want to talk about it. It was too painful. And so I continued to go through life by throwing myself into ministry, throwing Mm -hmm. myself into work, keeping myself busy versus actually dealing with my pain and trauma. That became my addiction and it was an acceptable addiction. It actually was affirmed, promoted, celebrated. That right. I worked consistently at my church, didn't have, I slept, I stayed overnight sometimes working. Oh my And gosh. so it was just my life was work. And it, it, it was two instances where I knew I had a problem. <laughs> One, in which I was driving home uh, from work, and I was so tired I could barely see. Like I was, the road was becoming blurry, and I just mm-hmm. prayed God help me to get home so that I, you know, can make it safely to live to see another day. And I just parked my car in the garage and turned off the ignition and fell asleep in the car. Oh because my! Because I was that exhausted, I couldn't even get upstairs to my house wow. because I was working that much. But the real kicker was when I had to go into the hospital because I was so stressed.
0: Oh, and my gosh. I, couldn't,
1: I was, couldn't feel. I had a sensation in my left arm where I'm like, oh, my God, am I having a stroke? What's going on? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And they're running all these tests on me. And I'm sitting here thinking, where's my laptop, <laughs> Jody?" Jody, for real. Wow. (laughs) That's what, that was where I was. That's the type of thing that, and that's not healthy. No. But when you don't want to deal with something, you, you find ways to take your mind off of it. And so for me, it was work. It gave me um, validation. It gave me something to do. It kept my mind busy because silence can be so loud. Mm -hmm. And when we want to avoid our inner thoughts, in dealing with things, we find ways around it. And that was my addiction.
0: Wow, and the thing with that being addicted to validation is that's a whole addiction in itself because we're mm. we're seeking that need for approval while stuffing the trauma. So for me, I was an alcoholic and it was, but once I took the booze away, just like once you take the workaholic away, you realize you're just a codependent, <laughs> like, or call it whatever you want, these codependent tendencies. So for me, and maybe you can relate to this, giving up that need for approval, that was, I mean, that was like taking a needle from a junkie. I don't know if you've ever read uh, emotional, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Did they have you read that no, in your- I'm going
1: to get it. That, I yeah, read he it, talks about great. the journey
0: through the wall, you know, and just being on the floor in the fetal position and then realizing that I don't, I, you know, once, like that was the best place to be, like to where everything was stripped away and God was like, it's just you and me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you realize you don't need any of those people, even the pastors and the church. And you go through, and he had gone through the church wound like I did. And it was just like, I was, I was like, I was done with God too. I was done with it all, but that didn't work. Right. And so that's Mm -hmm. probably where you had to get with that addiction where everything was just stripped away. And it was like, okay, I got to get real no matter. what I, what I lose, you know, what was that like for you to, did you have, see, cause your addiction is, is people don't see it as, as much. They
1: affirm it. Yeah. It, but it's so yeah. unhealthy. <laughs> it is so unhealthy. And I think it's important, Jody, that we recognize that some addictions are celebrated by society, you know, whether mm-hmm. it is work, um, performance driven, whether it is in some cases like eating um, in my culture, it's like, go ahead and eat or, you know, shopping or whatever. Right. There's certain things right. we can do that that is still is, is us running from whatever we need to deal with. And at least in my case, I can't you know, speak for everybody. And so for me, my, my turning point was when I realized that my health was on a serious decline. I was so mm-hmm. unhappy. It was impacting my relationships and I just felt so stuck. And when I say relationships, my romantic relationships, it was my uh, boyfriend, a long-term boyfriend. We were together for about four years. He said he never really knew me. He never really got a chance Mm -hmm. to know Jocelyn because I was so guarded. I was consistently wearing my mask, a mask of performance, perfection. I was guarded where he could not get close to me because I wanted to protect myself. And that's because Mm -hmm. I didn't deal with my trauma. And so after we broke up, that really shook me to my core. And I realized, okay, I need to get some help. I really need to start dealing with my trauma. And so I started working with a counselor and Mm -hmm. slowly peeling back the layers of what happened to me and even going all the way back to childhood and my people pleasing tendencies and, you know, being scared to voice my opinion. And, and after a while, and I still am in counseling, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I realized that this is actually not only about me in this healing journey, but I also wanna help other people who experience trauma and grief and loss because for me, Jody, my work is personal because the devil stole my joy for 10 years. I had so much shame. I had so yeah. much, like, I felt so condemned and I felt really entrapped by my past. And I'm like, I wanna get back at the enemy for all he's stolen. And so this is why my, my ministry around healing is so personal to me.
0: Mm, I love that. And you know, we're no match for the enemy and that's i think so important you know as believers especially as believers because if we're not believers sometimes he can kind of leave us alone but as believers he's he's prowling around and he's ancient right i mean the devil's ancient so but with god we we can defeat him but it's you know when we don't have him when we don't understand yeah voice of the enemy and how he attacks it's insidious i think you know we have to have that that god intuition right i mean what was what was that like for you uh um, well, you know how I- how was god kind of involved in that journey you know i think i think he he shows us things you know that make us go whoa <laughs> you know
1: I think God was there the entire way. I just wasn't trying to hear it. Of course. You know? Yeah. You know how that is, right? Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. for me, yeah. I remember attending a conference and I I put I idolized my trauma and follow follow me. It was it was so big in terms of my vision that I couldn't see anything else in terms of my identity. Mm. And mm-hmm. I remember attending a conference yeah. where this one woman, she talked about how she wanted us to envision a big circle, like this big, big, huge circle. And inside of that big circle is a small little dot. And the dot represents the painful experience, whatever happened to us in life. Uh, but we can make that dot so big mm. that it's as if it just takes up the entire circle. And wow. She's saying, mm. really, the circle around us is, is God covering us? And it, we're making that dot our identity. And Mm. so for me, my trauma was who I was. My trauma was, uh, what defined my value. It, it really shaped my perspective and my self-esteem. And I had to realize that that's not who I am in Christ. That's something that happened to me. That does not define me. Mm. And I had to really kind of say, I'm not going to be held back by this. This is not my entire narrative. That was a comma. That's my period. That's the chapter, not my book. And so really getting to that point where I had to embrace a new identity in Christ versus what Satan was saying, who I was, that was a game changer for me.
0: Mm, Wow. I love that. And so kind of what was the process like for you, um, the healing process when you were doing counseling and things like that? Was there any like key moments or aha moments that you had?
1: Yeah, well, the counseling was one thing where it was just really talking and unpacking. It wasn't as much of aha moments only in counseling. It's been like a journey. It's been like a slow Mm -hmm. unraveling for me. And I think what's really helped me is being engrossed in the healing work for myself while helping Mm -hmm. others, right? So one of the things that helped me to start my ministry was interviewing people just like you're doing now, Jody, mm, Interviewing mm-hmm. people and writing a blog about stories of individuals who had experienced trauma and God helped them to heal. And I interviewed dozens and dozens of people about their testimony of healing. And I put it in a blog. I called it Faith Fridays. They're still up on my website oh, cool. from years ago. And while I was interviewing them, I wanted to highlight their story for the world uh, as a testimony of hope, but they really were ministering to me. I was learning so much about how God heals and the process and how for many people, it was years of work around their healing. And for some, they had gone through so much And they hadn't told their story. They might have been 50 or 60 years old, but they had never talked about their trauma before. Mm -hmm. But they were doing it the first time with me. And so I really learned the power of sharing your sacred story. The fact that it's something where you cannot run from your trauma, your grief and pain. You will carry it with you. And so it takes community, community like a counselor, groups. I participated in healing groups. I now run healing groups for that reason, Mm -hmm. but groups, community, realizing that you're not alone, sharing your story and then other people, which I had happen, say, I went through the same thing as you and be like, wow, the enemy really makes us feel like our trauma is isolated. And there's Mm -hmm. others who have experienced similar things. Yes. Our journeys are all unique, but the enemy likes to have us in our own little corners, not talking, not seeing each other. And so for me realizing that there are other people who are carrying a similar cross, but who love me are not going to judge me, who will pray for me, who don't see me as my trauma, but see sees me as a daughter of a King. Mm -hmm. Right. And once I got in community started sharing stories, started doing the work in my healing ministry, I'm still in the healing journey because I don't think, you know, we arrive at this place, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> because there's always life happening. Yeah. But I also now realize when the enemy is busy and when he tries to condemn me and I can say, uh-uh, no, 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 you pulled that before, but you ain't getting me again on that same thing. And And so I feel more equipped to be able to pull myself out of that shame and condemnation that used to have me so bogged down.
0: Yeah. And that's really the key is just having those tools and just recognizing it, you know, like the mindfulness thing is huge to just be aware, because if you're used to stuffing everything, you don't even, you know, you can just be angry and in a rage and you just pick up a drink to calm down. And you don't even remember that you were drinking because you were in a rage because you were always stuffed that. So it's like peeling back layers of an onion and it takes a long time. You know, I had like road rage and anger for the longest time. And I felt like I couldn't control it. And then pretty soon as I started to get help with these things, I realized, okay, there's a half a second there where I have a choice. Mm -hmm. And then the second grew and it grew and it grew. And I think it's, it's that way with everything where you start to just be mindful, right? Where, where you're like, okay, I think I'm feeling, um, stressed, right? Jocelyn. And, and I'm starting to go into that workaholic mode let me stop here right and it, it's slowly like that and then it gets bigger to where we have more understanding but it takes a long time you know
1: mm-hmm. I love that I, and, I, and I think you know the the quicker we can recognize what we're doing doesn't mean that we all w- don't always like do fall back into it because it's hard yeah. to break what we've been used to for so long but when we recognize it okay What happened? Like this is one of the things, I really do still struggle with perfectionism. Earlier Mm -hmm. this week, there was some things that went wrong with uh, my ministry and I had to say, okay, Jocelyn, you're feeling it. You're doing it. Okay, what happened? Yeah. In in doing the deep work around self-reflection, what triggered you? Okay, what tools? Okay, pick up this book, start reading, start doing affirmations. You don't you do not have to spiral. Stop you, you can stop this. Right. But I think knowing, like you said, Jody, saying, okay, I, I have a choice. In that one second, I have a choice. It's empowering to know that you can you can choose. And yeah. so yes, I so appreciate what you shared there.
0: And, and the mask relates to those triggers because we stuff, we stuff what's going on, put on the mask. So this, this all kind of ties in, you know, I used to have these horrible triggers and I just stuffed it and they all had to do for me with male authority figures and things like that. And it took a long time for me to understand that. Okay. I love how this guy said it and I can't think of how he said it, but basically, you know, the reality is just if it happened, when i was five like i'd have to say okay this was true then but it's not true now and Mm -hmm. that that definitely (laughs) you know takes Mm -hmm. some time and that's where i think the enemy comes in he wants us to fake it he wants to be putting on that mask he wants us to be shoving our emotions he wants us to be to be in shame and not look at the truth of you know of what's really happening Right. So maybe, yes. you know, in your case, somebody did something in the, the ministry shocking and, <laughs> you know, and you got triggered. But then you could say, OK, well, well, this this is probably a normal part of ministry, but it's hurting me because of something in the past that was true then, but not necessarily true now. Right.
1: Yes, 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 yes. And and for me, and I'm speaking to anyone who is also a recovering perfectionist, I think um, <laughs> for me, I struggle with accepting grace. Uh, you know, I have yeah. such high expectations for myself. And so when I make a mistake or fall short, it's, it's a value thing, associating, again, value with performance. And I say, nah. uh I'm I am an imperfect individual being used by a perfect God and it is okay. Did anybody die by this mistake? No. Is the world going to stop spinning? No. <laughs> you know, and so right right talking to yourself is very important when you find yourself uh in a situation like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. That's that's totally true and just like I think I think we if it's positive, it's easy to deal with. If it's negative, it's not. But if, if you're, and I'm perfectionist like that too, cause see, I was, I was dyslexic. And so I guess I'm still dyslexic and was told, oh, you know, you'll never amount to anything by certain teachers. And so my thing was always like, I was always like one of the guys, you know, and I always had to be smart and I always had to like prove and prove and prove and prove. And like, mm-hmm. even in radio, I had to have a script for everything. Like everything had to be perfect because if it was perfect then you would see who I really was you wouldn't like me you know and so I mean so that's where that huge mask came in and 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 most of what we tell ourselves isn't even true and so yes. there's a there's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous that anybody has the capacity to recover even those with grave mental and physical disorders if they have the capacity to be honest right and i know i know it's like the best but it's so true because it's just honest with everything right just being Mm -hmm. being on like dr henry cloud i say this in every show he says reality is always your friend everything else is just fantasy and and that's so simple i know i know it's so simple but it but it's like okay like what's reality like what's Mm -hmm. reality Right? Is everybody going to laugh at Jocelyn because something happened? No. Like, what's real? Is this the worst case scenario? No. Or for me, it was, what's your part? Like, what are you not doing? Why are you afraid? Who are you not reaching out to? What's, you know what I mean? Like, if we're not honest, we're not going to get anywhere. I mean, we're just not. And that's the whole mask. The whole mask is just a lie. It's just putting on a lie. It's not our fault, right? But we're putting, we're lying, right? Right. I mean, when you work with people to take the mask off, and we can call it a mask, but we're just, we're lying to ourselves to protect ourselves, right?
1: We are. We're lying to ourselves and to others. And it really prevents us from experiencing what we desire most, which is authentic relationships, true love mm. and intimacy. We desire that, but we're yeah. scared to have it because we don't want to be hurt again. And so how is someone going to ever get to know us truly, deeply, love us unconditionally if they don't know us, if we don't allow space Mm -hmm. for them to come in? And that's what we do. That's what I've done. And it's scary. I get it. And I also know that not everyone has earned the right to know your sacred story. And I do realize that in some cases you do need to wear a mask because it's not safe. Some people will hurt you if you let them see your cards, if you Mm -hmm. let them see what's going on behind the scenes. So I understand that in certain environments, yes, just like the COVID mask that many of us have worn, we wear it in certain environments, for, to protect us from outside viruses that might harm us. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. But we're not going to wear the mask to bed. We're not going to wear the mask in the shower. Yeah. At some point in intimate spaces, we need to be able to remove that mask, just like we need to be able to remove the emotional mask and let people in our inner circle who have proven themselves trustworthy yeah. to be able to see us hold us and be there for us as we process through our pain.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy because I always say you can't tell what's wrong until you see what's right. And so when you're Mm. around the healthy people, you can see the unhealthy ones easier. Right. I mean, I was always attracting manipulative people and I couldn't see it. Like I just missed it. Like you know, hello. Because like you said, when when you're young, especially women, we're taught to ignore our instincts. And so we attract unhealthy people that are always asking us these questions and it doesn't even dawn on us that they're digging for information you know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, something's wrong. Your instincts are like, you nee, 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 nee. I always say, well, yeah. I felt it in my big toe that something was wrong. <laughs> and then by the time it blows up, you realize, oh man, I, you know, and that's part of that mask, you know, your little kid is, oh, oh, your uncle wouldn't do that. Or you're, you know what I mean? And, and, and as little ones, we have the best instincts, but we're totally taught to stuff them. And so then, like you said, you go and you, you talk to the wrong people and then you get hurt all over again and then you're all frustrated again. And, and, you know yeah. um, so that's what I say, like the confession, right, Jocelyn, it's so healing because we're, we're, talking with someone intimately looking in their eyes and they're not judging, they're not condemning. But if it's the wrong person, um, that's where that, that confession is, is, um, not going to be healthy. So it's, it's, I mean, how, and a lot of times people with trauma, they don't know how to assess, you know, tell if it's the right person. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it can be challenging in that area.
1: It can be. It can be. I I think the best advice is to test and observe. And I do know the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit does reveal and speak to you. I know that many of us have been uh, taught to deny, as we've been talking about our inner voice. And sometimes it's screaming, but because of external noise, we've been taught to ignore it. But our voice tells us when someone is like, okay, there's something about them. You know, have you ever been with a pet or animal and when there's certain people who come in the room the dog just goes crazy and starts barking and just is completely upset and i feel like they're sensing something is off they have their little inner voice (laughs) we have something too and we just need to listen to it first and foremost i think be prayerful and the other thing is i'd always say test people test and take notes Collect data, because when you're around individuals and you're just maybe at a new church, for example, you're part of a Mm -hmm. small group. People watch, see how they talk about people, see if they overhear gossiping, sharing people's business, see if there's someone who they're genuinely in prayer. There's someone who covers you you get a sense and then you can stick your toe in the water and share something that is a little bit personal, but not like your deepest, darkest secret and Mm. see how they handle that and then maybe give them a little bit more and allow them to earn that trust uh, based on how they're engaging you because not everybody earns the right to be in your inner circle only Mm. you can choose to let someone in that deeply, but some people over time, if they're consistent and have shown themselves to be trustworthy, then you hopefully can feel comfortable. But outside of that, even outside of your inner circle, at least go with a counselor, a good therapist, because if they're trained and they're Christian counselor uh, who if, especially if your faith is important to you, uh, then hopefully they can be that first safe space as you're discerning other people in your life who you can confide in.
0: Yeah, I agree because, you know, and I always tell people, look, finding a counselor, it's, it's like, and it's hard for people that have had trauma because they want to latch onto the first one and, and it can be challenging. And I've had that, but it's like, you know what, it's like buying a lawnmower, you know, it's, it's a, it's a product. I mean, really, if you're, if, you know, you have to find the right fit and if the first one doesn't fit, like it's okay Right. And so mm-hmm. I think I think you're right. And, and a lot of people, particularly in the church, and this this is kind of a good thing to talk about. Um, there can be this stigma around therapy, like that it's somehow bad or that psychology is somehow bad. And and the thing of it is, is that regular therapists. Right. The ones that aren't Christians and Christian therapists, we're all trained the same way. It's just that like Jocelyn, mm-hmm. myself, we have a right what's called a biblical worldview where we're going to believe, believe in God, we're going to believe that God has a, a purpose and a plan for your life. But most of the, I mean, there's some weird stuff, but most of the therapeutic techniques, you know, mindfulness and cognitive behavioral and all those things, they're, they're great. I mean, they're great tools, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, have you noticed that in the church where you you, you
1: feel like you've kind of had to explain that a little bit? Oh, yes. There's definitely <laughs> stigmas in the church. Let me tell you, Jody, where it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you just need to pray more, bring it to the altar. Right. And yes, pray. Prayer is good, but prayer and therapy can coexist. You can have right. prayer at the altar on Sunday and be on someone's couch on Monday, and it's okay. And just because you need to work with someone, who's a professional to provide you with some additional care does not mean that you have less faith. And I think educating uh, church leaders on that, particularly yeah. when it comes to trauma-informed care mm-hmm. and not shaming individuals because they're struggling with depression, struggling with, uh, honestly, the side effects of trauma, Yeah, the, you know, is one of those things where I think we can do damage if mm. we don't provide safety and give people quote unquote, I say this word loosely, permission to seek the help that they need. Sometimes people, because of the judgment that the church can demonstrate for people seeking additional help, they feel like it's an issue of faith. And I'm telling you, whoever's listening right now, if you need additional support, it has nothing to do with you not having enough faith. We all need support. We are never meant to do life alone. And so it's okay to get professional help through a counselor because God can use that counselor to help you.
0: Yeah, I mean if if you've had years worth of trauma, it's hard to just match. I always call it magic wand. Like when I wanted to quit drinking, God, can't you just magic wand me? Can it just be me and you? And the answer was no. The answer was you're going to AA. You're going to one of those groups. Right. You're going to get one of those. You're going to get, have that accountability. You're going to do all this stuff that you you don't want to do. You know, I wish there was a magic wand, but the Bible says that you know, we're in this earth and Satan was thrown to the earth. Why we inherited him, that's a, that's a question for the Lord, but he's here. And so I, I always like to say, look, all these things coexist. See, I think as, as humans, we don't want to, we want one answer, like with addiction. Well, addiction is a brain disorder. Yeah, it is. Addiction is a disease. Yeah, it is. Addiction is a spiritual problem and a moral problem. Yeah, it is. Addiction is a result of trauma. Yeah, it is. And everybody wants one or the other, but Mm -hmm. it just isn't. So yeah, it's spiritual, but you know, the Lord says, you know, you're going to have trouble in this life. You know, I've overcome the world, but you're going to have trouble. It's going to, it's, you know, and why he doesn't just fix it. I don't know the answer. I don't think any of us do. Right. We just, we're, we're, it's kind of a, I try to think of it as an adventure, <laughs> right? We're on an adventure. <laughs> we're
1: on a journey. That's my word of choice, right? Yeah, we're on this journey.
0: Yeah, exactly. Do you think though that the church is kind of getting better? I think a lot of churches have therapeutic ministries and stuff now, and it sounds like that's what you're doing. Um, and and I, I I love that. I love that. Um, I was going to say also, uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, so much of I think, and you as a, as a counselor understand so much of it is giving people choices and developing that authenticity within themselves. Like when I was struggling with codependency, I finally found a counselor who kept trying to get me to send the email, to send the let, to do this thing that I was so scared to do without telling me what to do. And most well-intentioned people, you know, AA sponsors or church leaders are going to tell you what to do. And that's just going to set you back because if you are wearing a mask and if you are a people pleaser, that's not, that's not helping develop your authenticity. That's not helping take that mask off. It's, it's while they mean well, and most people don't have any other way than advice giving that keeps you from taking that mask off right kind of talk to me about that process
1: you hit you hit it right on the head jody i think we cannot underestimate the importance of having agency and choice particularly mm-hmm. when you are a trauma survivor because if you've experienced mm. trauma that's something that has been taken away from you your choice, yeah. Uh, whether you were sexually assaulted, whether you were a domestic violence survivor, whatever took place, it was like a car accident. You didn't have a choice there, it was a loss of control. Mm, yeah. And it's a feeling of helplessness and horror as a result of that. And so one way in which we can begin to empower a trauma survivor is by saying you have agency, you have choice, even in the small things. Yeah. Yes, I might want you to leave that abusive relationship. But at the end of the day, you know what's best for you is your choice and affirming them listening to their inner voice. And that's a process. And so I love that your counselor was doing that because on the flip side, if they do not, if they try to tell you what to do yeah. and tell you what is right, then that does feed into the opposite. It feels like it's taking your choice away and you are being yeah. controlled. It adds to the anxiety. Yeah. And, and so that is something we can absolutely do to support those who've survived trauma.
0: Yeah. And that's where having someone trained comes in because that's, that's, You know, until you get training in that, that's, that's a completely mind boggling concept. And it used to drive me nuts. I'm like, why does these therapists not just tell me what to do? And now that I have my addiction counseling MS, I'm like, oh, I totally get it. I totally Mm -hmm. get it. You know, but it is natural to just advice give. I mean, that's just, you know, that's what we do. So anyway, well, yeah. Yeah, especially if, if you know, you, you're you very, have the codependent tendencies, right? It's like, it's like, I can fix this. I can fix this. And that's where I think that serenity prayer comes in. <laughs> God grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change because I can't, I can't really fix it. I can fix, I can work on myself, but I can't, right? I can't fix anyone else. We can try. Mm-hmm. I think the only way we can change other people is when we change ourselves, and then they might change right? Yes. We just don't know, but they might. <laughs>
1: that's it. That's it. We are, we are not baby Jesus and we cannot change people, but we can work yeah. on ourselves. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Jocelyn, for sharing your journey of the, the workaholism. That's, that's, um, I haven't, haven't actually had anyone on to talk about that, but that's such a big one in our world and our country today. So I appreciate you sharing that and how you, overcame that. Um, Talk to me or talk to people who are still struggling with maybe an addiction or trauma and some advice you would give to them.
1: Sure. I just want to say that at the end of the day, remember you are not your addiction. It doesn't Mm, define who you are. It might be something that you're struggling with, but it has no merit on your value, especially your value to God. You are not meant to go through this journey alone, and even if you fall and make mistakes and have a setback, you have the choice each and every day, even sometimes each and every second, to get back up, look up, ask God for help, reach out your hands, and get the support you need, because God has great things in store for you, and so don't give up. Yeah.
0: Yes, I love that. Don't give up. Tell people about your book, your work, your ministry, and how they can get in contact with you.
1: Sure. So my book is called Breaking the Power of the Mask, and it essentially talks about how we wear an emotional masks to hide our feelings. website, which is BreakingTheMask.com. That's BreakingTheMask.com. And they can not only see where you can get copies of the book on Amazon and other uh, channels as well, but you can also download a free workbook that you can use to accompany your process of working to remove your mask and begin to heal from your pain. You can also find on that website information on counseling and other resources to support you in the future.
0: I love that. Thank you. That's that's great. So if you read the book, it's going to it's going to hit on what we've talked about but digging a lot deeper into that stuff. So Jocelyn, I love this. I love our conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at JodyStevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, JodyStevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.